story of the first of its kind, Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, and you can find it on page 523 in the two lines. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted. But he was feared for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify men, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Our second reading is found in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, and you can find it on page 743 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save what was lost. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Think about that. 
Because that's the Jewish Bible. And it's a story of the Jewish people. Now, let me tell you a little bit of a story about this Jewish woman, real quick. 1926. That was an age when there were a lot of narrow-minded people and a lot of bigots in this world. And a woman from, the, from Chicago by the name of Thelma Goldstein decided she was going to go to Florida for her first real vacation. She was not familiar with the area that she was going, and unknown to her, she actually went to a restricted hotel in North Miami. She goes into the hotel and she says, excuse me, the man says, my name is Mrs. Goldstein, and I'd like a room for two weeks. I'm sorry, the man said, all of our rooms are occupied. And just then she noticed the man who was checking out of the hotel. He, she said, what, what, now there's a room. So fast, madam. I'm sorry, but this hotel is restricted. No Jews allowed. Jewish, she said. Who's Jewish? I happen to be Catholic. And the man did that, said, I find that hard to believe. Let me ask you, who is the son of God? Jesus, the son of Mary, she said. Where was he born? He was born in a stable. And the man continued. And why was he born in the stable? And with her eyes flashing, she said, because a schmuck like you wouldn't let a Jew run a room in his hotel. <laughs> now, in this world, at this present time, there will be those who do not recognize us for who we are or respect, or respect us. But nevertheless, we are all children of God. And the scripture says, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. All of us, everyone is a child of God. Everyone is a child of God. But consider this. Jesus is never specifically mentioned in the Old Testament. And the Jewish people today, most of the Jewish people today, the vast majority of the Jewish people today, do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. They do believe Jesus was a great prophet, but that's as far as they go. But in the Old Testament are many, many prophecies about the coming Savior, the one who will sit on the throne of David and rule in glory. And so, today and for the next couple weeks, leading up to Advent, we're going to look at some of the passages in the Old Testament that relate specifically, in some way, shape, or form, to Jesus. Beginning with Isaiah chapter 53. Now, before we consider Isaiah 53, which Roger read for us, we have to consider the two verses immediately before that. Isaiah 52, 13 and 14. Where Isaiah writes, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form beyond all human likeness. Think about those verses and how they were 
applied to Jesus. Jesus the wise, Jesus the exalted, Jesus a man who was not loved by all, but had many who hated him and were appalled by him. And finally, Jesus disfigured. The servant, Christ, as prophesied by Isaiah, would be disfigured through his suffering. But through his suffering, he would cleanse the nations. Now, think about the pictures of Jesus that you've seen over the years. I see one in here. So look at it as you leave. It's on the back wall with our cradle roll. The pictures of Jesus that we look at are not good representations of Jesus. It's not what he looked like. He didn't look like you or me. He didn't look European. He didn't have blue eyes. Those were artists' renditions. To get a true idea of what Jesus looked like, you need to look at somebody from the Middle East, from the Palestinians, people who lived in Israel. You get an idea of what those people looked like, that gives you an idea of what Jesus looked like. And you know what? There was nothing beautiful, nothing majestic in the physical appearance of Jesus, not like he's portrayed to us in art. Jesus would misunderstand the servant's importance. They would consider the servant to be an ordinary man. But even though Jesus did not attract a large following based on his physical appearance, he still would bring salvation and healing to the world. And faithful Christians need to point out Jesus' extraordinary nature. And so Isaiah 53 is a passage that speaks of the Messiah. It tells of Jesus being the one who would suffer for the sins of his people, for all people. And such a prophecy is astounding. Because who would believe in the days that Isaiah was writing, who would believe that God would choose to save the world through a humble, suffering servant, rather than a glorious king. The idea is contrary to human pride and worldly thinking. But you know what? That's the way God is. God often works in ways that we don't expect him to work. And the Messiah's strength is not shown in his physical appearance, but in his humility, his suffering, and his mercy. So how could a person living in the time of Isaiah, living in Old Testament times, understand the idea of Christ dying for our sins, of actually bearing the punishment that we all deserve? Well, they had their sacrifices, but it's one thing to kill a lamb, but it's something quite different to think of God's chosen servant as the Lamb. In the Old Testament, people offered animal sacrifices for their sins. But here, the sinless servant of the Lord offers himself 
for our sins. He is the Lamb, offered for the sins of his people. And the Messiah suffered for our sake, bearing our sins to make us acceptable to God. God is pulling aside the curtain of time to let the people of Isaiah's day look ahead to the future Messiah that would come and show them the resulting forgiveness that would be made available to all people. What can we say about such love? How can we respond to that? But at the same time, why did God cause his servant to suffer? Isaiah is emphasizing the Lord's will. He's emphasizing God's purpose. Something great was about to happen. And it's God's purpose to set us free. And the whole Bible is a phenomenal love story. Well, I never thought of it that way. It's because of God's love for all people. God created people. The people turned away from God. And God continued his presence and wooed them back. And Israel of Isaiah's day is a microcosm of all humanity. And God plays out this love scene throughout the whole Old Testament with Moses, with David, with Elijah, with Hosea, with Isaiah, and all the others. And many times that love went unanswered. But you see, the sin of rejecting divine love required sacrifice. And God decided to make that sacrifice himself. And he sent an innocent servant to bear the weight of the world's sin. And this cleared the way for a new relationship between God and the people God loves so much. It might seem gruesome on the face of it, maybe even unjust and bloodthirsty, but it was God's purpose. It was necessary for the punishment of sin. And the suffering of God's servant was key to God's plan. Because you see, God was reconciling the world to him through Christ, not counting the people's sin against him. In an article in the Chicago Tribune on June 22nd, 1997, there was a parachute instructed by the name of Michael Costello. He was 42. He lived in Florida. And he jumped out of an airplane at an altitude of 12,000 feet, and he had a novice skydiver named Gareth Griffin, who was 21 years old. And the novice would soon find out just how good an instructor this guy was. Because when the novice pulled the ripcord and opened the parachute, the parachute failed to open. And plummeting to the ground, they faced certain death. But then the instructor did an amazing thing. Just before hitting the ground, the instructor rolled over so that he would hit the ground first and the novice would land on top of him. And the instructor was killed instantly. The novice fractured his spine in the fall, but he was not paralyzed. One man takes the place of another. One person takes the blood for another. 
one substitutes to die so that another may live. And that's the way it was at the cross. Because Jesus died for our sins. Isaiah lived some 700 years prior to Jesus. And yet, Isaiah revealed much about the significance of the life and death of Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy regarding his first advent. And I'm thankful that he came to provide the means for our salvation. And I'm thankful for the truth that this passage from Isaiah reveals and the promise it assures. Because remember, we are all guilty of sin and we are all condemned to death and judgment. But Christ endured much suffering he took our place. He was our substitute. He obtained salvation for all who came to him by faith. There is no reason for anyone to remain accountable for sin, to be condemned to eternal death and judgment. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and believed in the work of Christ on the cross? That was fulfilled by faith. There's no need to remain accountable to God for sin, facing his righteous judgment. Because Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price to secure all of our salvations. And all we need to do is come to him in repentance and faith. Let us pray. By your wounds, your pain, your horrific suffering, we are healed, Lord. We are healed. And let us not be surprised when life is difficult and we suffer for your glory. May we humble ourselves to you and to others, that others might come to know your sacrificial and saving love. Amen. Our concluding hymn is number 550. Please stand if you are able.